Hi, I'm Sin. I'm Jim. And I'm Randy, and you're listening to Leave the Bottle Podcast. You can find us at leavethebottlepodcast.com, and of course, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and all quality purveyors of podcasts. We're going to be talking about food, and we are pleased in our area to uh, have plenty of local producers who are selling in our small city. What about you guys? Where do you buy your food? Mostly Whole Foods and other local grocery stores. Uh, there are farmers markets, depending on the time of the year. Who? Hey, who does the shopping? By the way, he does more shopping than I do, typically. Yeah, but like today, we'll be going out to ourselves. Uh, but uh, it's about fifty-fifty. We don't do the traditional one time a week shopping. Uh, we try to, and we keep saying that we're going to, but then, well, we need this, we need that. And before you know it, you know, it's 50 bucks later, it's 80 bucks later for, you know, getting one or two items. <laughs> Is that fair? It's an expensive way to, to shop. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we don't do the, we don't do the Euro thing or what I'm assuming the Euro thing is as far as going daily to the market to buy, you know, fresh baguettes and fresh vegetables and fruits and things like that. Well, in this country and all over Europe, that is disappearing because people are doing what they do in the States, which is not having time to cook and not having time to shop, by the way, either. And, uh, you know, it's funny that I was watching this movie about this the other day, and it's funny that we've grown to just go, yeah, well, what do you want? That's the way it is. And it's true, you know. So that's disappearing here in Europe. I do go to the store maybe twice a week. My wife goes to the market, or sometimes we go together. And that's a once-a-week thing. There is maybe 35-minute walk away, which we, we walk everywhere. 35-minute walk away is a daily huge market, farmer's market. And um, as much as you can, you try to go to these things. But yes, the food is expensive there because it's produced with way more care, Uh so, you know, that's that. Uh, people have kind of gotten out of that. Now, most people do buy their bread in this country daily at the bakery, although we found some bread that is, they will not cut it for you, and it lasts for like four days. Delicious. Uh, bread baked in a 450-year-old oven. It's not, it's not, your, it's not your parents' uh, wonder bread. Not at all. So, you know, we, we try, uh, here's the revealing personal stuff. Uh, we are omnivores. We have reduced much to the chagrin of the butcher who's right across the street. Um, we rarely buy meat, and I mean really rarely. Um, we do eat some fish and some seafood, but we do eat a lot of vegetables. We had lunch today. There was, there was nothing that had ever been alive, at least sentient creatures, uh, on the table today. Except maybe the ketchup had some tomatoes, and I think tomatoes are sentient, but that's for another <laughs> podcast. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, you folks are completely either vegan or vegetarian. Yeah, Sin's uh, vegan. I'm vegetarian on the road to vegan land. <laughs> so that's v- extremely difficult to sustain that discipline because of the cost and because of the shopping and because labeling even, right? Exactly. It's hard. It takes, and it's one of the reasons why it took me quite some time, despite wanting to be vegan over vegetarian, that I was concerned that both health-wise, affordability, and honestly, time-wise, of spending so much time thinking about food, preparing food, making sure it was nutritionally balanced, and I wasn't ready to (laughs) take that kind of time to do that. So yeah, it does take time, but 
after you do it for a while, you start um, developing ways to make it easier. Like there's a lot of cooking done on Sunday to prepare for the entire week so that there's less everyday time spent meal planning. So mm -hmm. it makes it easier. But yeah, it's discipline. <laughs> I miss cheese. <laughs> what is the rationale? Because people, I used to wonder... I kind of know now, but I used to wonder, well, why, why this choice? And I always thought it was the health aspect, which you mentioned, Sin. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's contested by a lot of people. I get irritated. <laughs> people are so damn polarized in their views. It's like wheat belly and, you know, well, people... Uh, the other argument, by the way, about meat that I'll bring up is people go, well, man has been eating meat for tens of thousands of years. So man has also been chopping each other's heads off with axes, and that doesn't mean that, you know, that's something we should continue. Anyway, what's the rationale? I think I know, but let's, let's talk about it. For me, it, it probably started when I was really, really young. I just couldn't stand beef. I, I remember picking out... Um, the little, my mom used to get what they call blade steaks, and they were very thick cuts of meat. My guess is that they were also very affordable, and you could actually see the veins in them. And I would become hysterical that it was, I couldn't eat it, it wasn't right. Um, not necessarily on an ethical principle, just because it, it grossed me out. And then I stopped eating beef in high school after seeing a couple films of things that you had um, mentioned earlier. Um, so I didn't eat beef, but I ate chicken, I ate fish, and over the years, you know, felt, you know, gee, I probably shouldn't based on how I feel. Um, and then it just kind of evolved over that. But the rationale for me is really just um, as a person, one of my main goals is to reduce the amount of harm that I cause, you know, looking at... Um, each person's action as a ripple effect, that it isn't just your action, it's how it touches all the people and beings around you. And in order to decrease the level of harm that I put out while I'm here, um, this seemed a very logical um, and rational decision stemming based on that, primarily. <laughs> health benefits also, yeah, sure, I think there are tremendous health benefits for me. For you know, for me, I I I I look at it in more political terms at this point. To be honest with you, um, when I see what's going out there in the industry, uh, it's it's bothersome to me. Forget the lack of regulation. I mean, they have like in the United States, there's something in the area of 20 food inspectors for the entire United States. That's insane. In a country of 330 million people. Which, uh, except that they only need to inspect something like 13 rendering plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and, but these politicians who have allowed this and the government who have allowed this, it's like one thing I never understand. It's like they have families too. They, they have kids and they have, you know, parents and cousins and so forth. If you don't care about me and mine, don't you care enough about yours, yours that your family that goes shopping in the stores that uh, that uh, their food is safe to eat. And that's just not happening. Uh, I was one of those people for years who was convinced that there was no need for a vegetarian diet, that you couldn't be you couldn't be health safe for yourself in the long term. I was one of those people that said that uh, you needed to have this protein and that protein to survive and that, you know, the assumption being that vegans especially, but vegetarians as well, were just going to be sickly people. And uh, that's just not the case. That's just, 
we don't just eat our front yard. As somebody <laughs> so eloquently yesterday in the comment section, by the way, folks, don't look at comment sections, as I said a few weeks ago, in websites, because it's insidious. And there was a story in HuffPost yesterday, 13 countries that are the worst countries for vegans to eat in. And by the way, guess which was number one? You live there. You live there, Randy. France was listed as number one. But it was interesting was that uh, the U.S. South and Midwest was listed in with the 13 countries. And the reason being is because the cattle industry, poultry uh, industries are so strong. They employ hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people directly that it's a very political issue. And that's why I always say food is politics at this point. Because as a vegan or a vegetarian, you might as well say that God is dead to a lot of people. You really, it's true because the scare among those people is, is that as a vegan slash vegetarian, you're taking food out of, you're taking food off their tables by taking away from their paychecks. And, And they look at it as you're indicting their whole way of life, how they make their living. And, uh, it's not pretty. It's it's not the visceral reaction. I just don't get like for sin being a, a vegan or for me being a vegetarian. There's few things in America at this point that will have people pointing their fingers at you so quickly as to say that. It's like I'm not saying that, Randy, you eat meat still, whether it's a little amount or a lot amount, you still eat meat. I'm not condemning you for those choices. And, and I know there are extremists who will. And, and I feel that that's wrong because as much as I don't want my wife and I to be tagged because of our eating choices, I don't want to tag other people either. But it's it's like an all or nothing now, and and I just don't get it. Yeah, well, I think that um, you put you put your finger on something really important, which is that, and this is not if I say Americans, it's because I look at a lot of American stuff on online, and of course I have many friends in America when we go there, but. This is worldwide, pretty much, in the first world, where we have too much on our tables anyway, where we eat and consume too much anyway, and certainly too much meat and and poultry and so on. But I think that what is this need we have to jump on people? I'm going to, as is my want, a slight digression here. I posted something about Neil deGrasse Tyson, which I thought was absolutely fascinating. He was acute. He said he used the word Godspeed in a post on Facebook or something. And he came on a podcast that I really like and said that he had gotten a bunch of comments like he was a traitor to the atheist thing and all of that. And he does not consider him, he doesn't like that word and he doesn't want to be called an atheist. He, But that's not even the point. The point is, why are you putting words in my mouth or taking them out? And uh, getting back to food... This is a problem that humanity is facing. I don't understand, has it always been like this, or is it just coming now, where people see something and they've got to defend it, and this is the way I am, uh, and you know this whole meat thing. Hey, I don't care what people eat if they're not doing any harm to anything. If nothing else, your point of view is clearly less harmful than someone who is having animals slaughtered. Um, so even though mea culpa, I do eat some meat. The the point is, it's not for me. For people who don't, it's like saying, "What you don't smoke? What's wrong with you? You you some kind of un-American or something?" I mean, there's a difference between night, light, and dark. Right? You cannot shine the dark on anybody. So you a non-smoker can't shine the non-smoke on you. You know what I mean? You're not going to start coughing because you need smoke and you can't smoke. 
So this is the same thing. Why anyone would condemn people who do not eat meat uh, is is not a good sign, first of all. And second of all, it's irritating as hell. We do have a few decent vegetarian restaurants in France, even in this city, although I haven't explored them. But we do buy our... We have three uh, large, what they call bio stores. What, what do you call those in the... Um, there's a word for this, and I can't think of it, the, the whole discipline. Not vegetarian, it's... Um, gosh, Macrobiotic? Yeah, something. Is it, there's another word that's close to that. I can't remember. Anyway, this is health food. Health food. It's called health food. You know, the health food store kind of. Yeah, the like the natural food. Natural, markets, natural foods. Yeah, a lot over here. So with, with, they call these things bio because it's bio because there's a there's actually a specific label for that, and there probably is in the states too. Anyway, that's generally where we buy most of our stuff. Yeah, I go to the supermarket, um, and. I'm guilty of buying unseasoned, you know, stuff that's not in season, which which is which is really criminal in some ways. I, and I admit it. Hey, but we don't do, you know, we try to reduce that kind of thing. Anyway, um, so as hard as it is, people should be respecting you, not dissing you by saying well, what's wrong with you. And it's always embarrassing when you go out to eat with a group, right, in a restaurant. Because you have to go either to a restaurant, well, you have to either order salad or find something that's going to work. I mean, I've been there. I've been there. Well, Randy, touching back on, on what you were saying about people uh, reacting so viscerally and often so negatively, I think more of the root of it, it isn't, it's less about food and more about how we are is that we get or we seem to get um, extremely attached to our views whatever our views are, whatever we've chosen, whether it's politics or food or religion or what house you have, you know, we build this uh, vision of ourselves to ourselves. And whenever anyone threatens that by being different, we feel like we have to attack to defend this vision of ourselves that we've built. And I think it's unfortunate because I think it closes people off and it closes off the idea that we are all evolving. We're all in progression. We're all in one place now and will likely and maybe hopefully be in another place later. And when you say, you know, for me, I've chosen um, this as part of an important part of my life because of what I've seen and what I know and for my health, someone who's eating meat and not thinking about it or not thinking about the harm that maybe it'll cause, you know, that's an affront because they have to question who they are and what they've built up in their mind about how they move in the world. So a lot of it, I think, just comes down to that and not necessarily food, but anytime you just hold something up that says, whoa, this is a challenge to my identity of who I am, you're going to get a visceral reaction and, and likely not very positive. And I, I think that's true to an extent of what, um, you know, the, I don't want to call it the gay movement, but the whole progress that we've been making in tolerance, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this atheism thing that I mentioned is a little bit of a problem for me Regardless of your viewpoints, you shouldn't be attacking other people and make and, and there's a little too much fun being made. I mean, I have I do not have a religious faith, okay, but I am not going to mess with people who do. And by the way, I'm not pleased when they come up to me if they have a faith and want to put it on me on the street. So you know, I don't I don't do that to them. Golden rule. Uh, back to food for a second. I did want to mention that apparently, and I'm going to hope to open up a gym rant here. You're right. Food is politics. Food is politics. And here's the thing that's disgusting about it. 
during, uh, I don't recall which administration, but it's probably true today, the two main people in the FDA or in whatever the Ministry of Agriculture, whatever that stuff is now, the Bureau, such and such, yada, yada, two of them, one of them was the biggest lobbyist ever for the agriculture, agricultural industry, agri-farmers, and the other one was uh, some CEO of some huge you know, one of the 13 companies that produces food in the United States. So, I mean, talk about being in the pocket. This is not even in the pocket. This is exactly like the financial world. So we won't, don't want to go there either. But, you know, the people, the vested interests are controlling all of this stuff. So at your level to do what you are doing is actually something really important because it makes not just a statement, but you are doing, you are practicing this thing. Whereas those people are talking about it and paying zillions of dollars, tax dollars even, uh, to get laws passed. And it just, it's, doesn't seem like there's any end to it. So at a personal level, you do what you can, right? Yeah, you do. And, and there's a price to pay in a sense because um, something as simple as going away, uh, going out to dinner, like you mentioned earlier, they involve planning now. You know, years ago when, when I was a meat eater, there was no planning. You went out to dinner. You, you chose where you're going out. And when you were on vacation, you didn't even think about it. Well, you know, you're going to find a restaurant. You're going to find food. You're going to pick up, say, if you're making sandwiches to, be, to go out because you're going to a national park. You know, you picked up some cold cuts and you did all of that. But now there's planning involved because it's just not easy uh, to do all of that. Say when we go on vacation now, it's a big brouhaha. You know, if we go out in the middle of nowhere, you know, we're kind of stuck. But I, you know, I don't mean to to beat the issue to death, but it is all politics in the end. When you have Monsanto, who should, if you want to put anybody on trial for murder, it should be Monsanto. Uh, flat out what, what they are doing around the world and with genetically modified food is it's it's criminal what they're doing and when you have politicians in the united states who are ensuring that this shitty food is getting served to our kids in schools and the school contracts that are put out there uh that's a whole realm i'm gonna leave to sin because she no i thought no you just to. that that there are, and you can and look it up, and I'm not super well-versed on the whole thing, but if you um, research a bit about who is funding a lot of the research that goes into RDA and stuff like that, um, dairy in schools, um, beef everywhere, it, there are some pretty big loopholes happening to um, keep them away from serious conflict of interest, and the research that is out there to prove that too and show that. And I know, you know, right, right now there's going to be people listening to this. Oh, my God, there's a couple of crazy zealots on here, blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah. You know, I, I get that. I get, you know, because I was one of those people, you know, not a million years ago. I'll never forget there was a time I was in a restaurant maybe 18, 19 years ago. And a woman came in and she had a T-shirt on and it said, meat is murder. You know, it's the old meat is murder thing. And I, I was like, okay, she, you know, she's really being a pain in the ass you know, especially coming into a restaurant wearing that shirt. And for many years, I was it annoyed me to, to the point that I thought about her many times over the years when the whole issue came up. But I got to tell you, it is. It is. As obnoxious as it may have been for her to go into a restaurant wearing that T-shirt. And yeah, it's okay. It probably was obnoxious. But sometimes also you have to be obnoxious to make your points. I'm not saying 
that excuses every kind of behavior out there because you do have to be mindful and you do have to be respectful and you do have to appreciate that we're all hypocrites on various issues. You know, I, I am one. I acknowledge I own my hypocrisy in it. You know, there I'm wearing right now, I'm wearing a belt that probably is made of leather. I'm wearing, right now I'm wearing a Ben and Jerry's <laughs> tie-dye t-shirt from going to on a, a tour of their plant last year in Vermont. And by the way, that's one of the few things that's been really hard about switching over towards more of a vegan thing is going, getting rid of Ben and Jerry's out of my life and going to a, uh, you know, vegan ice cream instead. But uh, it, I, I just don't get in the end why somebody would have such a distaste for me based on what I eat. Because it challenges what they're doing. You don't have to say anything a lot of times. You don't have to say anything. And we've had this conversation on other topics that it can, if you just express something that you believe in, it doesn't necessarily inherently mean I'm saying what you're doing is wrong. It's just a statement. It's just an expression. I mean, wearing a meat is murder. Either you like the Smiths or, yeah. <laughs> or you really believed in it, you know. Um, you're, you're putting it out there and if you're putting it out there, then you're always leaving yourself open and that's your responsibility. But I think I don't, it's like, I don't want to go to a pig roast, you know, it's that, and that falls in line too with if you have friends or you have family, it does change the equation because it can be something as simple as a summertime pig roast that I don't care if it's a close friend throwing it, I'm not going to go at this point. Yes, I we have barbecues at uh, at my in-laws where you know people are having burgers and hot dogs and things like that and steak and um I'm, but I don't want to watch a pig on a spit. We all choose in life. We choose our lines. Those lines that we're willing to go over or that we're not willing to go over. That's one of them for me. I don't know what kind of lines you draw in your life, Randy. Lines? I don't need no stinking lines. Uh, I got you 100%. I think that's a very, very good point. And I was imagining myself, I mean, I, I would eat pork, although we, we not much of, of any meat, really, but that certainly would be one of the last ones. My wife won't eat, won't eat pork anymore. Um, I don't want to get down to the fine details of what we do and don't eat, but I agree that going to certain kinds of fun. I can picture that, that once you've made that change, it's a little, again, like, you know, if you smoked for years and then you don't smoke and you're not going to go to a party where everybody in the room is smoking uh, right. for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is secondhand smoke. I mean, but there's also the smell of it. So, you know, oh, this is, this brings up a thing that just, uh, I, every time I think of it, I cringe and you'll cringe even four times as much because it has it's a meat story. So I, I made these barbecued ribs. This was years ago when we were big, bigger meat eaters. And I was bringing them over to a friend's, and I went into a grocery store. And I think I had a couple of drinks, too, or something. So I told the guy in the store, I said, oh, you got to smell this. This is, huh, huh, what do you think? And, you know, after I left the store and I realized he was Muslim, and Jesus, you know, I mean, Randy, nice. Oh, no. How cool was that? And uh, how cool was it that the guy didn't, you know, take out a knife and slip my throat right then as one of us might? Anyway, this is a horrible, horrible. I feel bad about that. That was years ago. Uh, there was no way to go back and go, oh, God, I'm really sorry. That's, you know, like unspilling no. the... But anyway, so going to a pig roast um, and smelling the meat and having, you know... Uh, and, and by the way, so what's this bacon 
thing. Everybody's so proud of you know the 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 meme of bacon. Everything's bacon. Oh, Everything's better with bacon. It's, it's I don't it's get like, it. It's on Facebook, it's on Twitter. You know, Google Plus. The whole everything is baked. Sin looks like she doesn't. She hasn't heard of that. It's absolutely huge. I can't believe you haven't seen this. She's not a social media freak like you and I. (laughs) Oh, is it? But is it? Isn't it everywhere? I mean, it's uh, well. I guess yeah. That is social media. She's very sheltered. Okay, well that's good because I only only let her out of the house once a week to go to work. (laughs) To go to work. Uh, There's another aspect I'd like to touch on, and that is. So you don't eat, uh, you know, you're still having that horrible story in my guilt and embarrassment. Oh, my God. Well, it's awful. You're a horrible man. It is awful. It is awful. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to get necessarily into what's in your fridge. What happened? Something terrible happened? The dog. Oh, I didn't even hear it. Of course, I was talking. So, uh, no, what I was going to say is that what we had, for example, for dessert, you mentioned Ben and Jerry's. We have some kind of a soy product that's flavored. Um, and, uh, if I would have known, I should have brought it in to look at the ingredients, but I mean, I think it's all, I think it's vegan. I'm pretty sure it is. And we can get that at the supermarket. It's in kind of an off brand, you know, in other words, this is not a huge selling, mm. it's not Coca-Cola and stuff like that. The crap that, you know, is, is, you know, on shelf after shelf in the market. Uh, but you, I'm, the question that I'm trying to get to here is, do you eat a lot of soy or, uh, um, and I don't know how the other words, soy is the same word in both languages. I don't know how it's Satan, Satan, but Satan, not, yeah. not Satan. Yeah. Not we're, 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 we're Satan lovers Satan because we're vegan vegetarian. <laughs> Satan. And there's an, there's one other, uh, tempeh is another one. There's tempeh. We love tempeh. You know, so what I was getting to here is I have made two different recipes of, of hamburgers with complete, you know, vegan, either with beans. Nice. Uh, uh, and they're delicious. So if you do that right, but I mean, let's face it, it took probably 20 times longer than making a hamburger, but it was worth oh, it in the end. She's, <laughs> well, I think she's you, the cook again, it's, it's, you, you have to, it's a commitment. It's a yeah. discipline and it's a commitment. And I found a lot of burger recipes and I've made a lot of both vegetarian and vegan dishes and they're like, they go over about 75% well. You know, really? 25% I love, just, the, I love the, the hamburgers <laughs> I've made. Yeah, I do too. And what I do is I make and freeze them, and then I have them. You make a big batch, you freeze them, then you can pull them out, and it kind of feels like you're just eating the processed, you know, because we were just talking about this um, in in the other day about just because you're vegan or vegetarian doesn't necessarily mean you are eating a healthy diet. There are tons of vegan and vegetarian products out there that are just loaded with preservatives and junk and, you know, low quality ingredients that aren't going to make you healthy. Um, So I think the more that you can make yourself, if you do take that effort, obviously, if you know the ingredients and you've purchased them as whole foods, you're going to receive better nutrition from that anyway, because just eating a bunch of, you know, soy based um, non-diverse, for lack of a better term, protein sources, um, you're not going to be healthy. And, and it's not really going to serve you. Yes, you're eating more um, fruits and vegetables almost inherently, but just eating junk burgers all the time isn't going to get you very far either. So for me... She's, she's directing that She's directing that towards me. He likes Morningstar Farms. <laughs> well, but again, it's, you know, it's a process. There's, there's no... Yeah. There's no here to get to. It's just this continual ongoing process of change and and I think that's okay. Well, you don't flip a switch one day and all of a sudden you're changing 
45 years of how you've eaten. It, it is a process. And I'm all kidding aside, it takes time. I became a vegetarian at 44 or 45, I think. And I was a massive meat eater before that, you know, meat and potatoes and the all-American diet, you know. And it's been a long road. Uh, it's but it's really rewarding for the most part. It's frustrating sometimes. You know, I see a steak on the grill or a, or a plate of buffalo wings. It's you know it harkens back uh, my memory. You know, it's like they say about muscle memory. Well, I think there's food memory also. Mm. Foods that tasted good, foods that you enjoyed at times when you were happy or when you were sad, or that you ate with a family member that's no longer around. So I think that those associations stay with you and it becomes, you have to retrain yourself mm-hmm. to, to, okay, I'm having this now. I'm no longer having that steak with my father-in-law who's never around anymore. Um, so I have something else different now. Well, I have a piece of luck for me is that I have never been huge, a huge ice cream fan. And I have never been a huge, and I've never been a huge steak fan at all. I mean, I, I've eaten steak, and sometimes it's good, but I find steak just that one thing is highly overrated. Um, I don't get steak. It's just like the bacon thing. I mean, people go nuts and go, "Yo, it's be steak." Remember Laurel and Hardy? If you guys remember at all, Laurel and Hardy, the oh, yeah. dream they mentioned that in almost every episode. I'm going to have me. A, it was probably like the 40s, right? So always, always the 40s was always. I'm going to have me a big, juicy steak smothered in mushrooms. It was Ollie, right? Always the juicy steak <laughs> smothered in onions and mushrooms, you know, done just to the perfect. Uh, that's never been my thing, even though I'm sure it exists and some people love that. It's, it's not something that I miss. Like no, I don't like, like ice cream at all. I, I really don't care for it, except oh my God. certain... Um, I've had maybe four times in my life ice cream that I thought was even worth eating at all. Yeah, it's just not it, to me. It tastes junky, sugary, uh, fat. Um, oh, you are. Oh, a it's communist. sugary. It's sugary. It's <laughs> and it's too sugary. And by the way, here's another thing: you you get, and this is uh, you should be noticing this, Jim. You as you change your diet, you should start um, getting a less high tolerance of things like salt and sugar. Both both of those things, are, as we all know, are not great for you. And so as you we were talking the other day about putting sugar in the coffee, for example. My dentist told me he's just stopped putting sugar in his coffee because it, he knows what it does to your teeth. Mm-hmm. So he said, I just stopped. Well, I tried that the next day. Uh, ain't that easy, you know? And I like the taste of coffee, and we have very good coffee here. But just going black right away, it's not going to happen that easily, you know? I think also, and I've proven this to myself, eating things that didn't I didn't want to eat, but I knew I needed to eat them nutritionally. About a month, I think, is when you can actually start developing a taste for something. And, and ironically, certain things, if you reintroduce, like now for me, I mean, he's a sugar addict, so it's a different story. I don't, I've never had a huge need for sugar. I don't put sugar in my coffee. I don't eat things with a lot of sugar in it. Um, but, you know, even eating something small, if we're on vacation and I can't find anything else to eat and I'll eat it, it's your taste buds do change. They really, really do. You just have to have a lot of patience and sometimes, you know, quite frankly, just suck it up for a while and eat something repeatedly. You will develop a taste for it. And they do have a really Unless good- it's onions. And onions, forget that. <laughs> I love onions. Onions uh, I know. are good. Yeah. I don't get to eat a lot of onions. I didn't, I didn't like it when I was a kid either, by the way. But... Um, 
regarding getting a taste to now we don't use we hardly use any salt either but certainly i remember we had some guests over and um we had asparagus for example asparagus is very tasty you like it you don't like it that's one thing but it, but it is, makes your pee stink it does it does yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh it's very tasty it has a strong taste is what i'm saying so either you do or don't like that taste but you know so one of the guests said do you have any butter and we don't have butter in the house. We never do. For whatever reason, it doesn't even matter what reason. We just don't have it. We, we don't buy it. We don't have it. Uh, and I can sit now, when I was a kid, green beans? Sure, I'll eat the green beans. Where's the, give me the mushroom soup and the onion rings over it, and I'll <laughs> eat it. That's what my mother used to do. She used to. That was the other thing, is that cooking uh, efficiently to not spend too much time on cooking is not brand new. In the 50s, you know, my mother was cooking dishes a lot of times like, you know, take a can of Campbell's mushroom soup, a can of whoever's onion rings, Stouffer's or somebody, whoever, and a can of uh, whoever else makes the green beans, green giant green beans or something. You put that all together, you mix it up, put it in the oven for 20 minutes, and that's a casserole, okay? Yeah. And possibly yeah. put some ground beef in there if you want. We She didn't. We, we didn't have... A, my uh, stepfather was a huge meat eater. That's another reason, maybe, that I don't. I'm not. I wasn't that huge on steak and and beef because uh, when I was growing up, they always used to. I used to have you know, like have to have peanut butter sandwiches for dinner and stuff because I didn't like the big roast or kind of thing that they were having. But you do get a taste. Getting back to the point, which is rare, but it does happen. You get a taste for the natural. And so yesterday for lunch we had green beans with absolutely nothing, no salt, no butter, nothing. And my wife doesn't care for green beans, so I almost always make them when I'm making <laughs> because it's good for you. And it's otherwise, if you don't have a filler like that, you're going to be hungry. So you need to kind of balance things. And I use that's one of the easier vegetables to, to get together on. Um, but it's true that I find that they're very tasty. So you start to like a taste, whatever it is, part of the work. You do it once, not uh, over and over. So that part of that work is finding new stuff that you can get to like. And once you've got a good list of those things, whatever you're trying to do, and if, if we're talking vegan, you find the list of those products or the stuff that you need to make to mix together to make something that works. And to me, that's like the major challenge. And once you've done that, you're on the way. If, mm-hmm. and until you've done I, it, you can't, go, you can't do it. You can't, can't continue. I've read, be- I've read before, and I disagree with it actually, that after you've eaten something 10 times, you'll, you may not love it, but you'll eat it. And I don't believe it for several reasons because um, my adoptive father and my mom divorced when I was 12. And the best thing that came out of that divorce, I never had to eat liver again. Never, ever, ever. Liver was with lima beans. With lima beans. Well, that's because you didn't have it was with it? onions. That would, <laughs> Then you would have been addicted. Well, there was onions put on it too. But it was a weekly staple in my house. My old man loved liver and onions and lima beans. And no amount of Heinz ketchup poured onto it could distract from the nastiness that was liver. The smell, the taste. And I was forced. I had to eat it if it took me a half hour, Mm -hmm. 40 minutes, an hour. It didn't matter. I would try to choke it down. I would just drown it in ketchup. It didn't matter. And all I used to think to myself was, I loved vegetables. I was one of those freaky kids who loved spinach and green beans and everything else. It's like, why can't you give me something else then 
that I actually like that's good for me instead of making me endure this. And so I I hated every week for, I don't know, eight, nine years that mm. he was in my life as my uh, live-in father. So that was more than 10 times. <laughs> and I never, ever liked that or lima beans. And from the moment they announced they were divorcing, I never again touched liver or lima beans. Well, nobody likes lima beans. I don't know anyone who likes lima beans. My my father-in-law loved pearled onions. Oh my god! Thanksgiving wasn't things wasn't Thanksgiving without pearled onions. And there's few things nastier than pearled onions. Well, I think also it beyond veganism or vegetarianism, it also goes to the culture of food and and why we eat. Which and the reasons are probably very rarely truly to nourish, and so you eat what tastes good, you eat what makes fulfills you emotionally, what you know makes you feel good. It, it's it's just like many of the other things we do in our culture. It's all about just feeling good. It's not about you know nourishing the body appropriately. So if it doesn't taste you know absolutely lovely or absolutely sweet. You know, we really don't want it, and so we don't put any value on it. And then it just snowballs from there instead of, you know, yeah, is this my favorite food? Nope, but I do know that it's going to nourish me, and I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to be able to be, you know, increase my vitality and my general health. And it's it's tough. to It's a tough sell. <laughs> I admit it. Nourishing food bores me. <laughs> well, I think... No. That's not true. You eat plenty extent, of nourishing food. You just don't think it's nourishing because it tastes good. Well, there's another... I there's go a, for taste. There's another... Well, you know, I mean, I think we all do to an extent. Uh, but there's another little aspect of this, which is also, um, the again, the adventure would be spices. And mm. uh, look, a guy came, flew all the way from someplace like Alabama, I can't remember, North Carolina, uh, to Paris to visit his daughter, who was a friend of ours. And we went on a one of these little dinner cruise type deals, which, by the way... <laughs> Good luck, uh, vegan, on that thing. You could never do it, unfortunately. No. There'd be absolutely nothing no. to eat except the salad, no. which probably had shrimp in it. But anyway, um, and here he's one of these guys. You meet these people once in a while. And I don't mean any offense to people from the south of the United States. I know a few, but not a lot. But it's very common down there. This guy would not touch a meal that did not contain both meat, usually beef, and potatoes. And if you could fry the potatoes in some way that they were dripping in fat, <laughs> then you had the ultimate. But anyway, point is, so we get on this thing, and they did have that because that's something that restaurants almost always have, especially in this country, is they're always going to have some kind of big hunk of beef or meat of some kind, but, you know, beef, and uh, probably potatoes accompanying it. And sometimes if it's a really hip place, you could ask for rice or something, but it's not going to be whole wheat. It's not going to be whole grain either. <laughs> It's going to be white rice of the cheapest variety. Anyway, um, I, people come here uh, and they have these expectations. I may have told this story on another uh, episode of the podcast, too. I can't remember that the guy, I was talking to a guy on a forum, and he, he said, oh, you live in France. My, my wife and I came to France a few years ago. I said, hey, how'd you like it? He says, well, there weren't enough buffet restaurants. So, you know, that, your expectations when you're traveling are, are kind of nuts. Traveling is... It's- I think it's probably for anybody who's not satisfied with McDonald's and Burger King and things like that has certain um, challenges at times, depending on where you go. Yeah, and Niagara Falls, I almost, I had an absolute meltdown. 
all last year. Oh my God, it was horrible. And usually I'm pretty good at containing, you know, I know I've made in general, I've, but we were in, we were on the American side? We were in the Canadian the side. The Canadian yeah. side, and it was Ooh, a long day. And she was impossible. Traveled, and I was eating vegan at that time, and I think we, we were on foot, we were walking. It must have been four, five, six restaurants, and there was more. There was truly no options. There was absolutely no options. And normally I'm much more agreeable than I was. I think I was having a bad day. And finally we went back to this other place and there was one item on the menu that didn't have something in it, either butter or meat. And this lovely young hostess, you know, I was looking at the menu and I'm like, I don't know, I was asking her questions and finally you guys are both talking and I like grabbed the menu and I'm like, I don't care what it is, I'll just eat it. <laughs> she <laughs> almost went she almost went for a non barrel ride over the falls. Sounds like sounds like hypoglycemia, no oh my something. God. Although it scared you because I it's not my normal No, she's a mer- mode, mild but I, I really just I was just so tired of I'm like, can we please just eat something? And Can't, you, you need hard. you really need to carry some of your own emergency supplies almost yes. right in those cases that trip, Randy, because we, we went up to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh-huh. Show me and, pictures of all the food I brought. <laughs> yeah, and so we drove from Connecticut out. So it was like fifteen hours or whatever to get to the first part. She spent several days <laughs> before we left making all sorts of food for us to take. We had tons and tons of food of different varieties that lasted for a good part of the week. But 10 years ago, we went on a 17-day trip around the country, driving around the country. And at that point, we weren't vegan slash vegetarian. We didn't even think about it. There was no pre-planning. There was no anything. You know, we just jumped in the car and drove for 17 days all around the country. And we ate wherever we ate. Uh, one thing that I before we before we go that I people automatically assume that because I'm a vegetarian because my wife is a vegan that we're members of PETA that we believe in everything that PETA does and other animal rights movements. Do we agree with parts of what they're doing? Of course, but just because I'm a vegetarian doesn't mean that I'm a card carrying member of PETA. I disagree with a lot of their tactics, and I think that often they shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to public awareness and perception, and that also ties in with the visceral reaction that often comes back on us because people automatically assume that those billboards or those magazine ads that are by PETA, that by extension, I automatically support them. And we don't do that in other areas of life, but it seems like it's okay there to paint, say, my wife and I or a neighbor who would be a vegetarian with that broad brush stroke that we must automatically support PETA. And it's... it's well, it's ex- it's equating extreme with extreme. Being yes. a vegan is an extreme dietary choice. PETA is an extreme animal rights group and I think people just see, oh, this is a fringe thing to do, this is an extremist thing to do, therefore, you know, they just lump it. Which is unfortunate. It is. And if there's one thing that anybody listening to this can get out of this, it's like take those preconceptions aside. They are not valid. They're not valid. Not every single vegetarian, not every single vegan goes along with those extremist views. 
a lot of the reason for my dietary choice is because of animals. It's not because of health as much as it is the human rights aspect. That said, don't paint me with a Peter brush. Yeah, I think that uh, the conclusion of that logically is to consider people as individuals. You're talking yes. to, you are, You have a one or a few human beings. Uh, let's face it, you know, even husband and wife, I've been married, as you know, because I've said it often enough, for something like 35 years. And yet, you know, we don't agree on every single thing. We are individuals. We're indiv- we, can, we can even, not violently, but we could even be completely opposed on issues. Uh, fortunately, these are not deal breakers, or we, <laughs> wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have lasted, right? But, but right. that, if nothing, is an illustration that you have two people in a room who have uh, lived in mutual respect and love for 35 years and can still disagree on a whole bunch of things, you know, so we are not a unit any more than, uh, than vegetarians or vegans are units, or for that matter, that people like me who are omnivores, basically— we are. I'm not some kind of a member of you know some tribe that has a certain thing, and and you're not cool because you don't do what I do. Uh, we have to respect each other, and I. The only reason we don't eat a lot of meat there's there's all the reasons that you just gave. There, it's not good for health. It's not very respectful, and uh, I don't. We don't want to quit completely. But so here we are. You know, on the as the French say with. Uh, our ass on two different chairs. If you can picture that image, it's a good one. <laughs> Sitting on two chairs. Is, is there an American uh, English equivalent to that? I, I can't think of it if there is, but you know. I like that one Side better. Of the fence, right? It's a good Side image, though. Both sides of the fence. Both sides of the fence oh, is exactly what that means, yeah. So yeah. anyway. I like uh, that one better. <laughs> I do want to call people's attention to, because we didn't want to harp on this, but I want to make a recommendation, and hopefully you guys have some too. And I wanted to recommend this this movie that'll disgust you forever on meat, and also the horrors that are in vegetable uh, production, things like the corn oil and these subsidies. By the way, what's up with all that? You know, uh, the fact that junk food is subsidized. If we get started with that, we got another five hours to go. Mm-hmm. But I have a quote. Absolutely, I have a quote from a. A move, the movie called, my recommendation is Food Incorporated. You'll just have to look it up and find the right one on the internet. I think it maybe played in theaters a few years ago, but it's a documentary, so you're going to have a lot of trouble seeing it that way. Find it on the net. You know what? I think it's on Netflix, too. I think uh, it is. I'm almost positive so it's on Netflix. those of you who have Netflix, go look at Food Incorporated and <laughs> then look at Inside Job, and you'll just want to commit suicide immediately because <laughs> between finance and food, we are so screwed. But... You can fight. Food Incorporated talks about the entire food industry, so it's not just meat. But they show a farmer who's, I guess you could call him an organic farmer, and they showed extensively how he raises, he raises, I'm sorry to say, animals. But he does it with a care that I think um, alleviates the suffering and so on. It's not as, it's not as gross, and it's, it's the, the animals live in the fresh air and so on. Okay, they do eventually come to term and die. It's all a myth. <laughs> I, but at any rate, point is, he, this man does make a very, very intelligent statement. In fact, it's so intelligent, it may take you a second to understand what he's even getting at. I'm going to play that now. It's just uh, not even half a minute. Talking about raising pigs. A culture that just views a pig as a pile of protoplasmic inanimate structure to be manipulated by whatever creative design the human can foist on that critter will probably view individuals within its community and other cultures in the community of nations with the same type of disdain 
and disrespect and controlling type mentality. So my okay. recommendation, Food Incorporated, find it. The, the man is just saying that if you don't have respect for the life of animals, you really don't have much respect for anything in society, including other humans. And to turn an animal into pork rinds, you know, fried in corn oil or whatever that is, it, it's just, uh, it rejoins another recommendation called Murder in the Kitchen by Alan Watts. If you're a little more intellectual and want to read a philosopher, Alan Watts wrote, I think in the 60s, or 70s, a book called Murder in the Kitchen, which is exactly the same point. Uh, my recommendations are the last five minutes of Fast Food Nation. I mean, I recommend watching the entire movie of Fast Food Nation, but especially the last five minutes. And prepare to be, I'm sorry, prepare to be shocked, prepare to be horrified, and prepare to understand what's really being done for your food, for the meat on your plate. It's brutal. It's not painless, and everybody should see it. And if you can continue what you're doing after that, then you're a better person, not a better person than me, then you're a tougher person than me, I suppose. And the other one is uh, Super Size Me, the Morgan Spurlock uh, documentary where he ate nothing but McDonald's for a month. Watch that and watch what happens with his blood work and watch how awful he looks uh, not even the 30 days in, I mean, by, I think it was 16, 17 days in his blood work was alarming, was absolutely alarming. And where his doctors were pretty much begging him to stop doing what he was doing, that he was at potential risk of permanent damage to his uh, liver. Uh, so, you know, supersize me when I talked about Monsanto earlier being murderers, McDonald's and all of those chains, they should be brought right up onto the dock also because they are they have contributed to more death with the garbage that they sell. It's just horrendous. If you watch old movies and old documentaries from the 40s and 50s and 30s, how few people were overweight back then? If you look at old pictures from Time, Life magazines and so forth, how few people were were seriously, I mean seriously, seriously obese back then very few they were the exception now that's pretty much the rule and i count myself i'm you know i really need to lose weight um but they didn't have all of the mcdonald's and things like that back then so to me that's super size me is a is a stinging indictment of the fast food world and fast food nation is is a real indictment on the food chain at this point uh sin what about you um, just two books. You don't have to put those on. Uh, both by um, T. Colin Campbell. One is called The China Study and the other one is called Whole. I like them both. They can, uh, especially The China Study, can get, it's not something you're going to sit down and read. It's not light reading, um, but it's very enlightening. And I thought it, there was a lot of good stuff in there. So, um, Anything else? I think that's about it, except that uh, Adele Davis, who is the author of a book called Let's Eat Right to Stay Fit, recommended eating liver for breakfast uh, a couple times a week. Ew, ew. And she she died of liver cancer at a relatively young age. Well, I mean... <laughs> well, and my point being not that I'm not, I'm not rubbing my hands. In fact, I had that book at one time. But the point being that that's... There is no magical formula, and certainly no. repeating things, whether 10 times or a 1,000, uh, is not necessarily a way to live. You have to one, follow your feelings. I one, uh, The comment that I posted back to a gentleman yesterday in the thread who made the, uh, a long soliloquy about 
that you know we have to eat meat in order to survive a long life to live a long life and so forth and uh and i said well number one that's just scientifically completely inaccurate i said you know there are vegans who drop dead at 45 there's meat eaters that drop dead at 45 there are various factors involved in that but the I know we're starting this whole tangent again, but there's this whole myth that you can't live a long, healthy, and productive life as a vegan slash vegetarian. You know, you have to be certain aware of certain other areas, but certainly there are people. Uh, the example I brought up to my wife last night was Paul McCartney's 71 now. Paul McCartney's been a vegetarian, a very strict one, I think vegan as well, since his mid-20s. Since his mid-20s, and he's still rocking and rolling, still out there performing big tours. He looks you know, great, looks amazing, and he's 71 years old. He's somehow done it now for almost 50 years. So to, to try to tell me that it's not a sustainable way of life is just – it's that's it, born of an ignorant point of view in my, in my opinion – that it's just that's not the case. So and that, and that's the last. I'm not going to rant anymore. I've, we've already been ranting for True. long enough. That's what this is about. Uh, one quick comment on longevity. By the way, do you know where what the country is of the world where the people live the longest, have the longest life expectancy? No, Japan. And Japan, uh, typically, they eat way less meat than say Americans. Way less. They probably yeah, do eat. Because they eat seafood, which, you know, you may not approve of. But the point is, if people are going to be arguing about meat, that's not true. Because Japan, the Japanese men are the longest living, uh, longest life expectancy of the planet right now. T. Colin Campbell goes into that, too, with some of the studies that they've done. And and, I mean, even the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition (laughs) just gives you basic guidelines of the very few things you have to be careful of and make sure which... Several of them are things that Americans are low in anyway. And my guess is it's not just the American diet. So that's just that's just silliness. <laughs> well, to me, it's like if you ha- if you're going to eat a living thing, if you're going to, you know, I would prefer people didn't. But if you're going to, then I think studies have shown repeatedly then fish is the way to go. If. If you're going to. There's issues with that, too. But I know there's issues with that. That's why I... (laughs) You know what? And not necessarily on the ethical point. Goldfish? (laughs) (laughs) The ones with the crackers, I mean. Exactly, the crackers, goldfish. Yeah, those are good ones. (laughs) We'll almost support that.